Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, Gospel Church Online. Um, look, uh, I do need to just start by apologising for my uh, unkempt appearance. I, I haven't had a haircut for some time. Uh, my excuse is that uh, the coronavirus social distancing laws have prevented me from doing so because I always cut my own hair and I haven't found a way to stay 1.5 metres away from myself. Um, Okay, so we're going on with Luke's Gospel again, and uh, today we're um, in chapter 7, and uh, starting at verse 18. And the question that uh, John and Matt uh, have been asking right through this, this series, and it's a question that they've been forced to ask by the text itself, is, who is Jesus? Is he who he's claimed to be? Is he who the prophets said would come? Uh, perhaps on a more personal level, is he the one for me? What can he do for me? Can he save me? But today is actually um, a little bit different to that. Uh, I mean, you know, the... It is a question, actually, that we ask all the time about it, about everyone else, isn't it, too? Uh, at election time, the person who wants us to elect them as Prime Minister or our local member, they'll tell us what their policies are, what they plan to do in the next three years. But very often, elections are won and lost because we want to know more than that. We, we want to know, who is this person? who we're electing to lead our country. And, you know, I've met people who, who really have very little idea about what the proposed Prime Minister plans to do, what their policies are, but they'll say to me, well, I just wouldn't vote for him because I don't like him, or, or I'll vote for that one because he just seems like a good bloke. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we all, all do that to some extent. We make judgments about. We, we, want to, we want to know more than just, than just policies. We want to know who is this person. Well, today's reading is, uh, as I was saying, it's slightly different to what we've been doing because it not only asks that question about Jesus, it asks it about John the Baptist as well. Um, you know, we are asking about Jesus. Um, is he the one? Is he the Messiah, the son of the living God? Is he what, what he claims to be? And can he do what he says he'll do for me, to save me? But I'll come back, I want to come back to that question later about who Jesus is. And first of all, I want to deal with the second part of the reading, which is, who is John the Baptist? Who was he? Um, because some of the people thought that John was the one. They thought that maybe he was the Messiah. And we know that because a lot of the things that John is recorded as saying in the Gospels is denying it and saying, I am not the one. And after me is coming one who is greater than me and his shoes I am not even worthy to untie. He says, I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And so many people were uh, flocking to John for baptism. Uh, and uh, it was a big movement because we can see, we've seen, we've, if you read the book of Acts, you can see that there were still people showing up who were basically Baptists. Like they, they knew all about the baptism of John, but they, hadn't, they had only a very uh, loose idea of who Jesus was and what he had done for them. Jesus asked the people who are listening to him this day, why? Why did you go to John to be baptised? What did you go out into the desert to see? What sort of man? A reed swayed by the wind? Well, you know reeds in a river, just the slightest breeze will cause them to bend. Clearly the answer that Jesus was expecting is no. John was anything but easily swayed. He was a man of principle. He was not at all afraid to tell the truth. Um, at the time of, of today's reading, it seems likely that John was already in, had been imprisoned by Herod uh, for telling the truth, and that was going to cost him his life. He was a fearless preacher of the truth. So then, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. John wore a, a cloak made of camel's hair and a leather belt. It doesn't sound awfully comfortable to me. Camel's hair, I don't think, is all that fine. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, a prophet, and more than a prophet. Because this was the one who was sent to prepare the way for the, for the real thing, for the Messiah. All the other prophets, and there's some great men in there, isn't there? The Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, particularly Isaiah, as far as prophesying the Messiah goes. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all, the, all of the prophets. They all spoke and predicted the Messiah, and each one slowly added to the picture of what the Messiah would be like. But they were hundreds of years before Jesus came. They, they, never had, they, they never got to see what they were predicting, what they were prophesying. But to John was given the honour of actually being the one who was there at the time. He was the one who introduced the Messiah to the world. It was an honour for sure, but it was an honour with no worldly benefits. To live in the desert and have nothing to eat but locusts and wild honey. He owned nothing. He had no uh, distinguished friends. And he knew that any day now he could be arrested. In the eyes of the world, he, he was a nobody. A madman even, some said. And yet Jesus here tells the crowd that John was the greatest man that had ever lived to that time. And that's a big call, isn't it, when you think of the, the people who'd come before him. But look at the one who is saying it, the Messiah himself. He is saying John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. And so everyone there who'd, been, uh, who'd gone to John for baptism, 
they, they knew that they had done the right thing. They must have wondered about this, this wild-looking man out in the desert. But now they knew. All, I mean, all their leaders of the Jewish people were saying the opposite. Don't go to this guy. The Pharisees and the lawyers were saying, if not in words, by their actions, uh, you tax collectors, you sinners, you've, you've got no part in God's kingdom, no part in God's plan. But these are the people whom Jesus said are right, right with God. Not those others who obey the law but lack mercy. Like, like the, the Pharisee and the tax collector that we'll come to later on in chapter 18. One of them was righteous in one sense, a great obeyer of the law. The other one, a sinner, but a humble sinner seeking mercy. I guess as I read this, I, I thought our church, Gospel Church, has been, in a way, it, it has come out of, it has been formed by a group of people who wanted to see the word of God held high and upheld. And that is a good thing. That is a really good thing. But we must be careful. We must be careful, very careful, that our message is not seen as one of judgment and condemnation. We must always be seen as a church where people can receive mercy. I, I, I don't think we are like that, by the way. So then, the big question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? It seems odd at, at first glance that John would even be asking this question, doesn't it? After all, John, um, John's mother and, uh, and, his, and, and Jesus' mother were, were close friends and relatives. Um, John had baptised Jesus and, and heard the voice, this is, this, you are my beloved son. Um, so why, why is he asking? Well, just on a superficial level, firstly, he's asking knowing that the answer he gets will be the right answer. He knows enough about Jesus that he is, going, that he is a man who tells the truth. And secondly, John knows that, that he himself is just a prophet, a very important prophet, but a messenger sent to prepare Israel for the coming Messiah. He himself had said he must uh, become greater and I must become less in John chapter 3. So he may be wondering, is, is it time for me to end now? Perhaps I need to fade out of this and he can take over. But I think also mostly John is, is like all the other people who were living in Judea and Jerusalem and, and Galilee, all those places, Samaria, and, and like us, in that he wants to know the answer to the question. The question that we've seen everyone else asking to, in the Gospel of Luke up to this point. Those who'd seen him order demons to leave, and they did and command sickness to cease, and it does. They're even commanding a dead boy, as we saw last week, a dead boy to get up and live, and he does. 
Who is this? Who can do these things? To us, the answer seems more than obvious. And it may be that it was obvious to John also. And this was for the benefit of his disciples, those who were still not in jail, free, um, still doing ministry, I presume. Maybe it was for their benefit that he'd sent them to ask. The thing is that Jesus did not completely fulfil the expectations of the Messiah, even John's expectations. Uh, I mean, they were amazed with all these miracles that were happening, for sure. And that part fitted in. And they could see that this was really someone great. I mean, no one, no one on them had ever seen anyone like this. But he was no King David. He was no King David. He owned nothing. He had no influential friends, a lot like John. He had no earthly power at all. And yet John, earlier on, had prophesied about Jesus in chapter 3 that he would bring in a great judgment on the people. He said his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. You can't, you can't make it much more plain than that. This man is going to, to wipe Israel clean of, of sinners. They'll be judged. But all that John was hearing about Jesus was not judgment, but mercy. Mercy to tax collectors. Mercy to sinners and lepers and, and the demon-possessed. People that no one would touch or go near. They were all accepted. This can't be right. The Messiah? Maybe John thought that someone else was still coming. Someone who would really bring in judgment. But Jesus tells John's disciples, look around, look, look what's happening. Look what you see happening here. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. We need to go back into the, dig back into the, the Old Testament, to the prophecies about Jesus, to see why it is that these things meant that he was the one. Isaiah 35. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. So there's the judgment, right? In Isaiah 35. But then straight after that, Isaiah continues on with his prophecy of the Messiah and says, when that happens, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. So these miracles that Jesus tells John's disciples, look, look what's happening. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Those signs are signs of the Messiah. Prophesied 600 years earlier by Isaiah. You know, that, the, the lame leaping like a deer reminds me so much of the, the, 
the crippled man that Peter and John healed in Acts chapter 3. You know, remember he'd been sitting in the, in, the, in the gate of the temple for years and years, unable to walk, and Peter and John came and saw that he had faith and said, get up and walk. And he did. And then he followed them into the temple, leaping and dancing and jumping around. This is a great and powerful proof of the truth of the gospel that we're dealing with here, the way Jesus so completely fulfilled all these things that were told about him. But that's another story. But there's more. The good news is preached to the poor. And that too is a sign of, of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 61, the one that Jesus quoted when he went into the, to the synagogue in his hometown and read from the, the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Once again, a sign of the, of the Messiah. Not the, not the wealthy being preached to, the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me, verse 23. Well, that's what the NIV says. The ESV says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The Pharisees were definitely offended by Jesus, most of them, because he did not fulfil their expectations at all. Uh, And in John chapter 6, we're told that even many of his disciples... uh, were offended by his teaching and stopped following him. Of course, Jesus was keen to encourage John's disciples not to make the same mistake and not to fall into that trap. It's kind of like what we've seen happening ever since and we still see happening today. There are plenty of people who condescendingly say that, well, Jesus was, he was all right, he was a good man. He uh, said some good things, um, but they are offended by his teaching about sin and judgment and by his claims that I am the way. Blessed is the man who is not offended by Jesus' teaching. Well, perhaps... Some of those listening that day thought that Jesus was warning John, uh, maybe rebuking him even. But Jesus then tells the crowd that, that John was, the, as we've said, that John was the greatest of men because that he was the greatest of men up till then, which was the time of, of the promise. But then he says he was the greatest of men except for all the others, those that had come after that who have believed the gospel and live in the time of the fulfilment. So John was the greatest in the time of the promise. But anyone who's part of the the church, living in the time of the fulfilment, is greater than John even. Those who hear the gospel and believe, those not only born of woman, but born of the spirit, born again of the spirit, they are greater than John. Pretty amazing thought. So to finish off, Jesus says, 
What then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We played and sang a dirge, but you didn't cry. There are times when I wonder, and perhaps you do too, whether God really knows what he's doing. Um, you know, we think if only he would do something really amazing, um, then everyone would turn to him. But no, it's not so. He's already done something really amazing. And not many people turned to him then, and they still don't. People have hardened their hearts as they did in Jesus' day. Fasting, not drinking wine, he's got a demon. Eating, drinking, a glutton and a drunk. Their hearts are hard, proud and haughty. They reject John and they reject Jesus for exactly opposite reasons. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. The children of the gospel can see God's wisdom. They can see God's wisdom in both John and Jesus. They're not distracted by secondary issues. But I guess continuing on from every other reading we've had in this series, the question comes out, doesn't it? Who are you going to trust? Who can save you? Jesus alone really is the one. Only he can open our eyes so we can see the truth. And only he can cause me to believe and bring me back to life. Amen.